Well, good morning. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at MetroLife Church. I want to say thank you for being with us today. Uh, would you turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 14? And as you do, uh, we're going to begin today in verse 13. As you do, I just want to extend an invitation uh, to the young adults. We are going to be hosting a cookout and a pool party at our place this afternoon at 4. Uh, we're going to have a great time. You get to meet Duncan, the Wonder Pup. And uh, he's our seven-month-old lab mix, and he's, uh, well, he's keeping us all busy right now. Uh, so maybe you can come help with that. Uh, no, actually, we, we love having uh, the teens in our home. We have, love having the young adults. Anytime that we have the opportunity to host uh, different groups from the church in our home, and we are looking forward to being with uh, the young adults this afternoon. Uh, we might introduce you to, if the weather holds out, we might introduce you to a, a pool game called Dimple. It's a lot of fun. Uh, if you play it right, and we play it right. So uh, you're welcome to come and, and join in that this afternoon. Would you pray with me as we look to God's word together? Holy Spirit, we ask this morning, as we look to your word, no matter how familiar a passage like this might be, no matter how new a passage like this might be to our eyes and to our ears, that you would just reveal afresh ways that you are working in us. You never stop working in us. No matter how young or old, no matter how new to the faith or how established in the faith, you never stop working in us. And you remind us of, of old, old truths that have new, new applications to our lives during the seasons of life that we walk through. And so today we look to you and say, inform these seasons of our lives. Inform our days that we may live for your glory and let your word be the lamp that guides us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as we go through the passage today, uh, I, I just want to ask this question kind of up front. What would those around you say that you build your life on? What, what is it that your life is kind of built around? And, and maybe you're in the season that that uh, Shane was just praying about, and you feel like life feels like it's built around school right now or around this particular aspect of my job. Uh, in our house, uh, Ella just made the varsity girls volleyball team. Yeah, it was, it was a big deal. She's a tenacious one, uh, that Ella. And she, she tried out for a third year in a row and made the team, and we're super excited. But we're in this new season of volleyball, and we've never been there before. And it is rocking our world. You know, but there are things that I'm just trying to learn about volleyball that, that actually matter to the sport. And part of that is just so I know the right things to yell at, at, at umpires or referees. See, I don't even know the right thing to call the people I'm going to be yelling at yet. But um, we're a new season of life. But that's not what we're necessarily trying to build our life around. Our calendar just kind of looks like it right now. That's how it feels anyway. But what would others, maybe, maybe your coworker or somebody in your family that isn't necessarily immediately in your home or a friend that you've had for years, what would they say it is that you're building your life around? I want us just kind of have that, that question in the back of our mind today. The sermon title today is, Don't Build Your Life on Stumbling Blocks, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 14. So let's just have that kind of in the back of our mind as we read together. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. 
I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. You know, last week, we, I mentioned last week that this is kind of a part B of, of a similar message and a similar point that Paul is making. And he's continuing to build as we come to the close of the book of Romans. He's continuing to build some things that he's talked about, about the practical aspects of love. And while he never specifically defines love here, he does talk about what the implications of love are in our life, what the application of love is in the church especially. And so Paul, all these years later, is still setting the tone in terms of the culture for the church today. And and I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want God's Word to be what it is that sets the culture and sets the tone for Metro Life Church. I want it to be what speaks to us and says, this is what you should be pursuing together. Why? Because, well, this is a word that's going to last from one generation to the next. But he is speaking to us today. He's speaking directly to us today, whether you consider yourself weak or strong in a particular area. He is speaking to areas that we might call disputable matters. Some of your translations may say opinions but it's basically where we have a church that we're trying to say look as i look do as i do and then and only then will i actually have any type of fellowship with you because i'm actually saying that that's the only time that god would have fellowship with you i'm putting myself in that place of judge it's a dangerous place to be our passage last week looked at that and so i just want to remind us of three things as we get into today's passage One, the only option available to believers is true acceptance of one another in Jesus Christ. Two, Christians may disagree on secondary things and still be fully accepted by God. Sorry, that's two. Number three, we all will appear before Christ's judgment seat giving an account for ourselves. And we ended last week asking the question of, have you taken a look at your ledger lately? So today we start with this. Don't cause the stumbling of someone else. Don't cause stumbling. Now, Paul isn't going to be advocating for apathy toward others. He's he's not calling for this kind of uh, doing away with any type of objective standards or having real things that God's Word clearly speaks to that we just don't pay any attention to that. We just look past it because, well, we're loving one another. No, he's saying that we shouldn't have an apathy toward these things, that we should pursue in the culture of the church 
doing away with obstacles, doing away with things that that get in the way of the, the spiritual development of others. But it should be something that we decide in our minds. It should be something that we kind of set forth in our thinking. This is how we're going to live. And, and so last week we talked a little bit about the idea of convictions and what it means to live a life of convictions. Those are things that we settle in our own heart before God. Ways that we're going to live so that we might live for His glory. And this is part of what Paul is continuing to talk about today. But we want to start with don't cause stumbling. And in verse 13, he says this, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide, decide what? Decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Don't elevate the secondary things to where they become the, of what's of most importance. Let me ask you another question. When was the last time that you met a good friend? You know, one thing I've come to realize in life is that Life does have those rhythms that, that Shane was just talking about and praying about school seasons and different things like that. Life does have those rhythms, and friendships have those rhythms as well. There's, I haven't figured out what the rhythm is yet, but I can tell that there is one. Relationships do ebb and flow. They, they come and go at different times, and, and that's okay. I'm not saying this to be discouraging. I'd rather us all be aware of that and, and kind of warned and equipped for those seasons to come. But when was the last time that you met a good friend? And by that, I'm not just talking about like, okay, yes, so we've, we're, we're friends on Facebook. That's not a friend, necessarily. Seth Godin would actually go on to say that uh, a true friend in that type of way is somebody that you would be able to call up if you were stranded in their city overnight and be able to get a, a room in their house to be able to stay. That's the type of friend that I'm talking about. Not a connection on LinkedIn. Not a follower on Twitter. Not somebody that knows your gram. I'm talking about a friend, somebody that you're going to invite into your life, somebody that you're going to say, like, be in my home, sit at my table, know my family. When was the last time that you met a friend like that? Just think back to it in your own mind. Did you start with secondary things? Did you throw it out like it was a hurdle or a gauntlet that they have to clear? I mentioned a few weeks ago seeing the, the docuseries uh, The Weight of Gold and Lolo Jones' Uh, in, in her summer games, she was part of the hurdling team. She said that she had only clipped a hurdle three times in her life, and the one time was when she was favored to be uh, the one who would win the gold medal in the women's hurdles. She clipped a hurdle the third time in her career and lost any chance of meddling. A hurdle had been put up in her place. Do we, do we treat relationships that way where it's like, let me test you before we even have a friendship? Let me, let me throw up a hurdle, and if you clear it, you're a gold medal friend. Maybe you're a silver friend. Maybe you don't medal at all. It seems to me that that would be hard to have friends that way. But in the church, don't we act that way at times? Throw up hurdles. Throw up things that people have to clear. You must be spiritually this tall to get to know me. What a dangerous place to be. See, I think in the church, we're a, little, we're a little more mature than youth groups can be at times. It's easy to look at a youth group and say, look at all the cliques in the youth group. Oh, look at that, that group of friends. They never see outside of themselves. And yet in the church, we can do the same thing. We just act a little more maturely about it. Well, I have this doctrinal stance or... 
you know, they, they seem to enjoy Christian freedoms and liberties in a different way than I do. And so I just, uh, me and Jesus are over here. Things like music, fashion, drinking, dancing, schooling choices, working parents. See, those things can be, become very easy outside erosions that tear away at the inner building up that God has intended for his church. Even, even doctrinal things like the fruit and work of the Holy Spirit, the gifts, tongues, prophecy, they tend to become distractions or even worse, divisions. It's what the main point of all those truths, fruits, and gifts are for, to love and serve one another. Now, my message today is not about any of these things in particular. Actually, I think that what happens at times is that, that in our friendships, in our relationships, what we may do is use these tests or traps, however you want to look at it, as a way to basically build up walls that protect us from hurts that we've experienced in the past. And I think what the Holy Spirit wants to do today is not just erode those things. He wants to tear them down. He wants to tear them down in the church. And he wants to build something that, that uniquely brings him glory in our lives. The church that says, I can find fellowship with you. Yes, we may differ on these secondary things. And there can be robust debate. There can be wonderful conversations. But you are my friend. You are my brother. And I love you. To be able to say that with conviction. To be able to say that and mean it with integrity. And not just kind of give lip surface to one another. See, we need to be careful in the way that we look to pass judgment on those with Christian liberties. Paul actually is, is going to give a distinction here between giving an offense and taking an offense, right? And in communications, there's always one who's transmitting and one who's receiving. And Paul is making sure that he is clear here that the strong one is the one who is deciding let us make a decision not to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way. In other words, don't give an offense. You may hear me say it this way at times. The gospel is inherently offensive on its own. That I need a savior? It's not just that that goes against everything that's the American dream. It's not just that that goes everything against my, my personality. That says that I have a need that I can't find resolve to. I need someone else, is what it says. I'm dependent on someone outside of myself. And so the gospel is inherently offensive on its own. Don't give an offense on its behalf. There's no need for us to. We can be released from doing that. So he's making a distinction between giving an offense and taking offense. And he's speaking directly to those who give offense. Making everything in life about this or that particular issue. He goes on in verse 14 through 16 and says that he wants us to consider these things unclean. Let's read these passages together. Romans 14, 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking, how? In love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. 
So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Now it's true, church, we are no longer under the old covenant. Paul is rejecting the idea that some foods are unclean, as we see in Levitical law, as we see in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy or Leviticus, as a part of the old covenants with God's people. But if someone believes particular foods are unclean, then they are. It's very simple. The apostle is actually echoing Jesus' remark in Mark 7, 14 through 19, that nothing a man eats defiles him. Let's read these words together. Mark 7, 14 through 19. And he called the people to him, and again he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Jesus had the perfect understanding of of the book of Genesis. Jesus had the perfect understanding of the creation mandate, that it was good what it was that God created. The laws and things like that, they certainly reveal our need for a Savior. They reveal our, the way that we cannot save ourselves. But Jesus understood that what God has created is good. Now today is not my attempt to just tell us to go willy-nilly into Christian liberties. Not at all, actually. I want us to be more tethered to our conscience than ever before. Because the world will test us when it comes to these things. We should be prepared. See, Paul, in summarizing Jesus' message, helps us understand that food and drink are ethically neutral. But an activity may become unclean if it's done in the wrong way or with the wrong motives. And how often do we see this? People given over to the wrong motive. Let's look at verse 17 back in Romans chapter 14 together. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. I love this passage. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Now let's think about where our passage started today. Back in verse 12, or excuse me, in verse 13 of Romans chapter 14, where he says, we're going to make a decision not to do this, but we are going to also pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Paul is using a drink as it relates to Christian liberty. Last week it was meat and days, or sacred or holy days, set aside time. And as I was thinking about why it is that Paul would use these as an illustration... Why is it that he would use these as an illustration to help his hearers understand the point that he was trying to make? There were debates, certainly, in the church at the time, but I don't think he was just speaking to that. I I think inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul was speaking to Metro Life Church today. So here's the question. What's the application for us today? We don't necessarily have these same things happening today. And here's what came to mind. As Paul has up to this 
point said in Romans, and as he's drawing out these points, that we are to to consider ourselves and present ourselves as vessels before the Lord, that the days represent the things that we present the vessels of our bodies to. Okay? In the same way that he said, present yourself as a living sacrifice, back in Romans chapter 12, days for us can help us understand the things that we present ourselves, the things that we give our time to, the thing that occupies, that it looks to the outsider like our life is built around. Days represent what we present the vessel of our bodies to. And meat or drink can represent the things that we fill our vessel with. The things that we take into our hearts. And we can see that through so many different ways. It's not just eat meat and drink. It can also be things like media. It can be the things that we listen to on the radio. The, the shows that we watch on television. The movies. It certainly has implication and application in those areas as well. But the question is this, what are you filling yourself with? Because Paul actually has a very specific answer for what it is that we should be filled with. And that's the Holy Spirit. So what are we presenting ourselves to? What are we filling ourselves with? Because here's the point, God wants lordship over all of it. He wants lordship over all of it. He wants to be able to look at your life and claim, that's mine. And if I say you're free to eat or drink of it, eat and drink of it. And if I say you are not free to eat or drink of it, don't eat or drink of it. Because He is Lord of all of it. He wants to empower us for the abundant life that we've been called to. He wants to be the Lord over the relationships that we have with our brothers and sisters as well. And so what does He say? Don't put stumbling blocks in front of one another decide this make a decision not to pursue those things pursue what instead pursue the things that bring mutual upbuilding for the glory of god and it makes peace in the church his lordship alone is what will lead to those things his his lordship over my life and his lordship over your life That's what's going to lead to peace in the church. That's what's going to lead to a mutual upbuilding. Toward the end of this passage today in verses 20 through 23, Paul begins to kind of shift his attention a bit. And he talks a bit more about kingdom convictions. See, God finds our lack of faith far more than disturbing. God finds our lack of faith dishonoring to him. It dishonors him to have a lack of faith in his, as we look to something else as the foundation of our lives. We look for righteousness in created things rather than their source. See, the source of those created things is the same as the source for our salvation, the Creator, our Savior, Jesus Christ, God Himself. So when we start to look for righteousness in those things, He sees that our faith is placed in other things. A few weeks ago when we were talking about him being Lord over politics and in governance, you know, there's a psalm that came to mind at that time, and there's a psalm we'll refer to here in just a little bit as well, that some trust, some put their trust in the chariots and the horses. But what does David say? I am going to put my trust in God alone. Back in the 70s and 80s, that was a popular song to sing in church. And I wonder if there's not part of that that we need to reclaim today. That we need to reclaim in terms of what are the things that we're putting our hope and our trust in. 
What do those in your community group say about this? What, to, what do those who are serving alongside of you say about this? Yesterday, our, our uh, children's ministry wing has a larger gathering room, and because of our facility hosting a, a celebration of life for a past member, our serving teams were together talking about these things. Talking about what it means to, to disciple one another and to be a church where that's what kind of needs its way into everything throughout the church. That we are people who are constantly, not on the lookout in a bad way, but watching out for one another in care and in love. That we don't find our source in anything other than Jesus Christ. That we don't find our source in anything other than Him. I love what John Stott says about this section of scripture he says this paul concludes by drawing a distinction between belief and action that is between private conviction and public behavior between private conviction and public behavior can i just let me not assume on something today when was the last time you took stock of your private convictions when was the last time that you weren't just in this place and, and said, well, I, I don't know that I'm going to just go with them? So we, we really need to be prepared with those things beforehand. But when was the last time that you just took stock of where you were at in terms of your personal convictions? Said, I'm not going to put myself in this position. Is that something that your family talks around? Is that something that your friends would know about for you? Is that something that, that the, the people that you interact with on a daily basis would know hey, we're not going to cross that line with him. We're not going to go there with her. Is that something that we actually even give time and attention to? It'll certainly help us not focus on the external so much. That gets messy. That gets muddy. But when we are talking about that inward work that is happening, that God is doing in our hearts, and we're sharing that with trusted friends and those who are going to walk through life with us, oh, health can come from that. Peace and upbuilding can come from that. I love what verse 20 says when it says, Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything indeed is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. So which is more important to you? The spiritual health of a fellow Christian? Or you enjoying your freedoms in front of everyone? We have to ask this question. Let me just make it very practical. When you're inviting somebody into your home, if you don't have an issue with alcohol and you're meeting and inviting a guest into your home, ask first. It's not just the considerate thing to do. It's the thing that helps us keep these things in check. If there's a movie that you're wanting to go see, ask first. Talk about those things first. Let's not just assume and put people in the position as they come through the doors of the church to feel like it feels a lot like the world except we hear scripture every week. Let's ask first. Let's be the ones who are not going to just enjoy Christian liberties in front of one another. We're actually going to walk in Christian love first and foremost. Because what's more important to us is not walking out our Christian liberties but it is the spiritual health, not only of our fellow believer, but for ourselves as well.
do not destroy the work that God is doing in someone else. Verses 21 through 23, let's look there in Romans 14. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is why I asked the question that I did earlier. Have we taken stock of our convictions lately? Don't assume that the the convictions that you had early in your walk with Christ stand the test of time. Don't, Don't assume that they stand the season of life that you are in at this moment. Danny asked me earlier, he said, should you include some examples of of where you've had to walk through this in your life? And I'm certainly willing to talk with you about those one-on-one. But I don't know that I find that helpful, and here's why. I have family that I defer to that may be watching this live stream. And in love, I don't want to put them in a position of thinking that, that I'm kind of like condescending to their thoughts on and their belief on certain issues. I do want to speak broadly to things, but I think this is part of what Paul's talking about here. We need to have that kind of time, and, and I love you, and I know you, and you know me, and I've invited a good number of you to my house this afternoon. But here's the thing. I want to walk in wisdom when it comes to this as well. I certainly want to have a transparent life, That's not the question that we're we're talking about here. See, even in illustrating these things, I want to be careful in how I walk. And my, my ask to you today is, would you consider doing the same? Would you consider doing the same for the glory of God? Considering others, even as Christ did for us, those above yourself and deferring to them. As I was studying over this last few weeks, Kent Hughes, I came across this illustration. He says this, exercising Christian liberty is very much like walking a tightrope. As you walk the rope with balancing pole in hand, at one end of the pole is love for others, and at the other is Christian liberty. And when these are in balance, your walk is as it should be. Here's what I know about us as a church, from community groups to the ministries to the serving teams, all of which I've had the privilege of being a part of, and we continue to be a part of today. Here's what I know about this church. We want our walk to honor God. So let's make sure we're in balance. Let's make sure we're in balance. Love and Christian liberties in balance. Adopt an attitude of concern for others, thinking of them first and foremost. That's humility. Adopt a sensitivity to their needs. I love this. The basic concept of theological thoughtfulness 101 is this. Being considerate isn't just having nice manners. We're not talking about just having nice manners. We're talking about learning the sensitivities of the friends around you. Asking questions first. It's observing what makes them uncomfortable, and it's avoiding those things in their presence. 
This is what it means to live a life out of conviction. And what is it that first and foremost informs our conviction? Love and Christian liberty and balance in our walk. It's biblical love in action. It's that agape. It's that divine love placed in us and then working through us, calling us to sacrifice, looking beyond the sacrifice of the things of the world. And it's this unconditional acceptance of one another so that we serve one another. We're going to see that a bit more in the weeks ahead. I I just want to acknowledge my gratitude to Chip and Rhonda and Jason for their investment in our serving teams. Uh, As a church, we are going to see and experience the fruit of their labors over the last few months at the beginning of September. And I'm really looking forward to that. I think it's going to be something that we enjoy together. But what's the implications if we don't do this? Paul actually tells us. And it's a bit of a tailspin that, that our lives go into. The tailspin of being inconsiderate to the things that are sensitivities or things that grieve one another. He actually uses that word in verse 15, that we would grieve one another. That in verse 21, he talks about stumbling or offending or weakening. And most damning of all, 15 and 20, they refer to the destruction of the work of God. You know the most popular example I can think of of this? I love Jesus, but I'm not sure about his people. That sounds a lot like Romans 14, 15, and 20 to me. Is destroying another just to have your own way worth it? As I've been, <clears throat> as I've been praying through this passage and preparing throughout this week, a thought occurred to me that I'd like to take a moment to share. And, and I was thinking about you. I was thinking about us as a church. I was thinking about where we are in life as a church. And I was thinking about the seasons of life that are represented in our church. The multiple generations that are represented here. And I think that's, I think that's something that's just beautiful. All of these generations worshiping together. There's a wide variety of seasons of life. There's a a diversity of backgrounds and cultures. There's a spectrum of ages, uh, physically and in terms of spiritual maturity, and I think that's just beautiful. I think it's wonderful because the gospel's big enough for all of that. The truth of who God is and, and the salvation that Jesus offers is big enough for all of that and more. It's just beautiful. But there's actually a caution in there for us, isn't there? means that in the midst of all of those backgrounds and experiences and, and maturity levels and, and different things like that, even cultures and spectrum of ages and spiritual and physical maturity, it means that there's actually a ton of room to create new stumbling blocks or hindrances for each other. A picture of this came to mind this week, and I ran it past Stephanie to make sure it made sense. Every once in a while she has to translate what I'm thinking for me. And I'm glad because my heart is that this would not be the case at Metro Life Church, but the church, universal, church at times can feel like some grotesque form of spiritual CrossFit. I think the temptation exists for all of us to be better at creating spiritual box jumps for each other rather than clearing the way 
for each other to, to spiritual growth and maturity and health. And here at Metro Life Church, this is what we're committed to be. We are committed to be a place for individuals to be transformed by the power of God and to grow in spiritual maturity. We do this certainly for one another. We do this because it matters for our witness. It matters for the mission that we're called to here in this city, in our workplace, on the campus, and in our own homes. But ultimately, all of those point to the real reason we do this, for the glory of God alone. So, here's the challenge for today. Don't build your life on stumbling blocks. Don't build your life on stumbling blocks. Imagine how exhausting it would be as people work to find community or friendships that can actually eventually lead to that spiritual maturity that we talk about wanting to see. But if we're building our lives on spiritual stumbling blocks, people will be exhausted. We will become exhausted in the midst of that. Even worse than that, these things or these boxes become the very things that we build our lives on other than Christ. And may there be nothing that we build our lives on other than Christ. They become our identity. They become our central issue. The hill that we're most willing to die on, so to speak. 1 Peter 2, 4-5 says this. As you come to Him, the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. Again, we see in these offerings that are made acceptable to God, that's the only way that they are made acceptable to God is through Jesus Christ. Our self-sacrifice for the Lord does not make us acceptable to God. It was Jesus' sacrifice. And in light of His act of redemption in light of his tremendous work on our behalf we dedicate ourselves fully to the lord of compassion we see that the lord is at work in us and that he is at work through the gathered church even as we've talked about just some small ways this weekend what is happening in the midst of that work well we're being built into something a spiritual house a place of refuge a place of abiding a place of rest for the weary soul And we, you and me, we are being built into a royal priesthood, able to minister to one another the reconciliation that we have experienced through Jesus Christ. Now you may ask the question, if I'm not going to be building my life on spiritual stumbling blocks, what should I be building my life on? I hope that the answer is a bit obvious up to this point. But let's look back to 1 Peter. Build your life on the living stone that the builders rejected. We hear that phrase first in Psalms, and it's a hearkening back to it's a hearkening back to the people's enslavement in Egypt. They're talking about something that they had a lot of cultural experience with being subject to someone who was not their savior. An enslavement that led to death. An oppression that they could not escape on their own. 
And so they would have this very firm understanding of the stone that the builders rejected. See, God's word here is connecting us to something that, that actually connects us to the ages beyond just this Sunday morning early in August. These passages connect us to the salvation that people sought for years in their enslavement. It points us to the things that they heard about from ancient prophecies. It, it points us to the things that the psalmist wrote about in the songs that they were going to sing. It points us to Hosea and in three quarters of the Gospels, all but the book of John, Jesus spoke of himself in this way. The stone that the builders rejected. And you may think, now I thought Jesus was a carpenter. I didn't realize he was a stonemason. Ask the stone that rolled away at the empty tomb what Jesus' power is over stones. It's a power that's available to you today for salvation. He is a living stone. He's not in that empty tomb anymore. This living stone can now become the cornerstone of your life. Psalm 118 says it in this way, that the stone that the builders rejected has become our cornerstone. And if you're wondering what to build your life around, build your life around Jesus Christ. It's a very simple answer, but it has powerful implications. It's going to change everything about you. I'm not here to say that your circumstances are going to change. I'm not here to say that you're going to go home and that relationship is restored or your finances are all just right or that your business is going to prosper. But I can tell you this for eternity, it's a sure foundation to stand on. The stone that the builder has rejected has become your cornerstone. Metro Life Church needs to be built on that cornerstone. My life, my house, my family, anything that my kids are walking through in school, to be built on this cornerstone. If you're here today and you've tried to build your life on anything else, the things that you've tried to put your hope in for good, quote-unquote good, as the world defines it, and, and as you're hearing me speak, you realize that's not going to be able to stand the test of time let alone be a key that brings me into eternity and the relationship that you were created for. Maybe you've just been trying to keep your life together and you've become exhausted even to the point of desperation and you find yourself, as, as the people of Israel were in Egypt, that you just feel enslaved and trapped and you're just crying out for a Savior. Can I appeal to you today, turn to Jesus Christ. He's the one to build your life on. He's the only hope we have for salvation. For us in Metro Life Church, the ones who have turned, let us, as Paul says in verse 13, collectively make a decision together. Today, this is our commitment to one another. We make a decision to never put a stumbling block in the way of a brother or sister. We help set the cultural tone that Paul spoke to us all these years ago. Not just speaking to divisions that were in the church in Rome between Jew and Gentile, but speaking to my heart today and to your heart today as well. 
Let us, in the healthy way that we think of one another, have consciences that are informed by God's timeless word, that we might be unified, that we would be maturing in our faith together, and let us build the home of our heart on the rock that is higher than us. Church, can we commit to that together today? Would you stand as we sing together?